Podcast. Welcome back to the podcast for the play The Curse of the Lake House. The first eight episodes of this podcast were scenes from the play. Since then, we've been interviewing the people who helped bring the characters in the play to life. Today, we're talking with Erica Schickel. Erica is a memoirist, teacher, and actor, as well as a mother and longtime friend. Her recent memoir, The Big Hurt, published by Hachette, in August 2021, looks at the ramifications of getting kicked out of boarding school right before graduation and explores how we often blame ourselves for things that aren't our fault. If you're listening to this podcast, let me know by sending a text to 617-435-1340. In The Curse of the Lake House, Erica played Lila Abbott in the scene called The Deadly Curse. Lila and her husband, played by C.J. Stewart, try to escape the curse by driving away from the lake house. They don't get too far before a terrible crash leaves them stranded. While they wait for help, they reflect on the meaning of life and come to realize that things are not exactly as they seem. Here's an excerpt from Erica's performance. That's what happened. I swerved and avoided one raccoon, but there was another one right there. And then I swerved again, but... I'm pretty sure I hit it. This is my fault. This is all my fault. It's my fault that Jimmy's dead. And look at the car. If I if I just plowed through that first raccoon, we'd probably be fine. But how was I supposed to know to do that? Hi, Erica. Hey, Mike. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm I'm doing well. I hear that um, you have gotten yourself a new kitten. I have, and he is chewing on my hand as we speak. You have three cats? Uh, alas, now we have two. We had, I lost my beloved cat Shackleton back in yeah, I remember April, that. early April. And uh, yeah, there's no replacing him, um, but we did get a new kitten. Oh, he is a delight in his own right. So I, I mourn the shack. You know, I swear, you know, I think cats, cats really do drive the internet. Cause it's like, when I post a picture of Percy, I'm like guaranteed to get, you know, 40 people responding and anything yeah. else I post, it's like crickets. My Instagram is all cats at this point. I yeah, for sure. Say. I mean, that's what, that's what it is. We, we, we might need to get a picture of Earl to, uh, to promote this podcast. I was thinking about your book, The Big Hurt. You know, I, I I really enjoyed reading it. I really sort of plowed through that in a way that I haven't plowed through a book in a long time, and I really, really enjoyed it. So congratulations on on on, on that book. You know, one of the things that I, I found very compelling about it was how how you handled the timeline. You know, you didn't you didn't go. It starts here. It ends here, mm-hmm. without actually also saying that you know many different things are happening in different times, but at the same time, it was, it was, yeah. it, was it was kind of curious. And I was just wondering about, you know, how did you come to decide not to go linear, but to go more dynamic? And well, all of that sort of happened in stages. You know, I started out writing just a very linear book about my experience in high school. And then things got complicated as I was writing when I had an affair and blew up my marriage. And I I came to understand that what was happening to me in the present at that time was sort of 2009 to about 2015 
was the same story. And then I had to tell both stories because it was, I was recreating the events of my youth in middle age. So that forced me into what I will call a toggle structure, although it's not, you know, there are gaps where the story doesn't toggle between the 2000s and um, the 1980s, early, late 70s, early 80s. Uh, but it was a lot of trial and error. And what I really came to understand was that I wasn't, that telling the story chronologically was cumbersome and that I needed to roll the story out thematically mm. so that both of those love stories would, by the end of the book, I'd be toggling between them and my reader would understand that it was basically the same story. So just so your listeners know the big hurt, the two stories, the, the A story is the me going being sent away to boarding school, a troubled child of the 70s and divorce, and sort of making a success of herself in that boarding school. And then six weeks before graduation, I was seduced by um, the music teacher in that school. He was married, the school found out, and they fired him and they expelled me to protect his wife who wanted to finish the teaching year. You know, changing around the timeline allowed you to sort of yeah, because the problem was it was two books and I needed to make these two stories into one book. That was always the problem, that it was a sort of cumbersome, it was a heavy lift to get the two stories across. And I always felt like if I told one story, the high school story, then the middle age story, my reader would be like, why are you telling me this story again? Writing a memoir is kind of an interesting thing, you know, and, and I'm wondering, you know, have you always considered yourself to be a memoirist, memoir, a memoirista? Not at all. I mean, I've always been a first person writer. Um, I, you know, I actually got my start in the theater. <clears throat> I, because I come from a family of writers, it was important for me to not be a writer for a very long time. So I was an actor and I was a good actor. I did a lot of uh, film, television, theater, and also performance art. And I ended up writing monologues for myself to perform live theatrically. And then I had kids and getting one woman shows up became more and more difficult. So I finally relented and just went to, to the page. And I was sort of off to the races. I started out writing a radio play, which I starred in and performed. Uh, and then I, well, what, what was that? What was the radio? That was, a, that was a show called wild America. Oh yeah. And this, yeah, this was back in the early nineties. Um, I mean, I'd done a bunch of shows leading up to that. And of course the, Amer the, the, the America in wild America is spelled Erica with a K. Yes. Yeah. And the whole thing was just spoofy tongue in cheek kind of a thing. Um, and, you know, I mean, this was sort of the sort of, you know, this sort of idea, you know, sort of the mockumentary hadn't fully saturated the culture at that point. So it was actually rather novel at the time. Um, and it was sort of a show, it was sort of like a fake PBS documentary that would sort of look at mating, monogamy and motherhood. The three M's. The three big M's, yeah through the lens of sort of evolution and psychological evolution. So in using sort of this weird chick, AKA Erica Schickel as the sort of uh, example. 
so it, it was a really fun show to do. Um, and then, but then it just got harder and harder to get up and out. I had my second child and I was just housebound. So I started writing, you know, short pieces and essays, which is really where I started out as a writer was as an essayist. I was just trying to get, you know, I was trying to freelance and get my byline out and write about stuff. And so that's how I, my first book came around. It's really a collection of essays loosely around motherhood uh, for my first book, You're Not the Boss of Me. And then I, when I started out to write this full-length memoir, I it was a head scratcher to me. I'd never taken a class in it. I had no idea how to go about it. And um, I just hacked away at it for 12 years. I mean, I got a lot of guidance from James Elroy, the guy that I had the affair with, who's the subject, part of a character in The Big Hurt. Um, he really helped me a lot because he writes big, sprawling books. Um, and the rest, I just sort of gutted it out and figured it out and got friends to read, you know, other writers, got feedback from my amazing agent, my amazing editor, finally, um, at Hachette, really helped me with it. So, you know. Yeah, so really, I mean, The Big Hurt is your first memoir, really. I mean, the the, yeah. the, the other book was was essays, which I guess are, are mm -hmm. memoir-ish. Yeah, and I mean, many of the same principles apply between essay and memoir. I mean, the problem with memoir that I confronted is I had just was length, you know, sustaining a narrative, a single narrative over hundreds of pages was very different from right doing, you know, 5,000 words on potty training. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. it's just a totally different um, muscle and or and really the muscle you're 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 working on is your brain, the organization of it, you know, getting over it and understanding, you know, trying to figure out the scope of the book and all of that and how to organize it. It's, it's a totally different project. So I learned a lot. Did you have like a big cork board in your office with uh, index cards on it? And yeah, I actually gave that up for the miracle of Scrivener, oh, which I love is Scrivener. my a writing program. Yeah, yeah I, I have used that. their cork board. But I mean, I could not have done the big hurt without Scrivener. I mean, I did so much dropping and dragging and rewriting and snapshotting in the course of this book. Yeah, I I, I think Scrivener is a really cool program. Wherever you go, you will find a Scrivener nerd like me, just ready to talk about it. Yes. Is that right? Are there are there are there a lot of us? Well, because... um, you know, it's funny because I, I teach I teach writing and I always introduce my students to Scrivener. And you know, a lot of people have heard of it and are intimidated by it. And I always take at least 20 minutes just to, I show them a document, a current document, and I just walk them through it and just show them how easy it can be. Uh, I know that you're teaching. You were, you mm -hmm. taught for a while at the UCLA Extension School, and now you've got a class going at the writing pad. And that's, mm -hmm. that's, a, me that's a memoir class? You know, I'm teaching uh memoir at level one and level two like intro and intermediate and then i'm trying to, we're trying to get an essay class going but i've sort of had scanty sign up so i am um i think we're pu pushing essay off to the fall which is good because i'm not really prepared to teach it but bad because i'm really excited to teach it i mean because mm. it is my first love is the essay so 
Um, I, I'm hoping we'll get a class together there. But currently, yeah, I'm teaching memoir one and two. And I, I love it. You know, I really love teaching it. It's so much fun. Who is the writing pad? You know, the writing pad is just a private company run by uh, Marilyn Friedman and her husband, Jeff. And they just host a bunch of different writing classes and all kinds of, you know, comedy writing, television writing, drama, writing of how to write a New York Times modern love piece. You know, I mean, all kinds of different things. So I'm, I'm representing in memoir currently over there. Nice. I'll have, to, I'll have to check it out. What is it like the writingpad.com or something like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So do you imagine yourself writing more memoirs in the future or is a memoir, is it like, you know, once in a lifetime thing? You know, one of the things that people don't understand about memoirs, they think it's autobiography and it is completely different from autobiography. So autobiography is, is written, you know, by some, eminence grease right somebody some famous person will write that autobiography and it's the whole life memoir is only a very narrow slice of the life um and we write memoir generally using a constraint so an idea that will that is like serves as a boundary so you're not describing your whole life so you're just going to write about you know, your addiction. That's how people like, you know, Mary Carr can write four different memoirs or however many she's written now because it's all about the constraint. And I guess also memoir kind of reaches outside of the story itself, right? Because like the an autobiography is like, oh, this is this person and this is their life and this is what they did and blah, blah, blah. Whereas a memoir yeah. like your book is about the story that it tells, but it also has ramifications in a sort of as a, as a greater story. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's less a record and more of a reflection, Mm. I would say, you know, and, and a lot of the work that goes into writing a good memoir is has to do with processing your experiences to the point where you can be uh, wise about it, you know, where you can bring that wisdom to the page. You know, you have to process your pain before you can really effectively write about it because you need to understand it. You need to understand, you know, there has to be an evolved uh, consciousness on the page in a memoir to describe the unevolved self, you know. Because really what, what it's all about is we want to see the writer in conflict with herself. That's, that's the nut. Yeah. And that's something that you actually went through as you were writing this, right? I mean, it was because you started off writing a very different book. Yeah. And, and I, I bring very consciously bring the struggle that I encountered trying to write my story at, into the story because my story is about really at the core it's about telling stories who has the right to tell the story and because it's all so heavily framed by other writers and my father who was noted film critic and historian Richard Schickel um, and my lover James Elroy author of a bazillion you know page rippers uh like these two men, it was about the struggle to come out from under the shadow of these men and to sort of reclaim my own voice. And the telling, the writing of the book becomes part of the drama of the book. 
So the big hurt sort of looks at, I mean, I, so the big hurt looks at the ramifications of those events and how they shaped my entire adult life. And then finally led me back in, into the situation, which is into a relationship with a pedagogic older man who is unavailable at some level. Mm. And I recreated that history. He was the same guy. I did the same thing because I had taken that shame and hurt that had happened on in high school and buried it and sort of tried to recreate myself in this marriage and, you know, motherhood and so forth. And I had never processed what had happened. And because of that, I went sort of galloping blindly into this insane love affair. And, um, and it really forced me to under, to come to terms with the past. And that's sort of what this book is about. Strikes me as something that a lot of people need to do. Well, it's very, and that's sort of the beauty and magic of, of memoir. Um, and, you know, and, and the art that communicates is it reflects something that is a human condition, you know, a common experience. Um, and, you know, and the, the, the great, trick of memoir is we do that by being incredibly specific about our own lives. So like the more specific we are about the details and the, the, of our lives, and I don't just mean like physical details, but emotional details, et cetera, the more the reader is going to be able to identify with that, with those things, even if that reader never went to a Bohemian boarding school in the Berkshires or got kicked out or had an affair with a notorious crime writer, even if that reader has had none of those experiences, the specificity of the story is what brings that reader into the world. And I always say this to my students, like what you're trying to do is make your reader cozy inside the world, inside your world. You give her everything she needs to be comfortable and cozy. And, you know, and that's not a warm blanket and a mug of tea. That is the truth. I will give you all the details you need to understand this situation and the stakes of the situation. And you will be safe here. You can rely on me because I am the the author who has processed this and can lead you through this perilous story and expose you to all of its elements. And you will come out the other side, having experienced my experience and understand your own that much more. Wow. That's pretty cool. It is just super cool. It really is. Yeah. Memoir gets a bad rap, you know, as navel gazing, but it is really anything but. It's just storytelling. And it's the original storytelling. Here's what happened to me. I mean, before we start telling stories about the gods and the goddesses and everything else, what are we doing? We're telling each other our stories. Here's what happened to me. I have to tell you what happened. God, tell me. I want to know. Right. Really? You know, I mean, it is the most human thing. And then making up stories, I think, comes next, you know. And I, I mean, no one is no better than the other, but both are equally important and human and elemental. Yeah. 
you know, I heard I heard an interview. I was listening. What was I think I was listening to that Ezra Klein podcast last week, and he had a guy on whose name I will not remember, but he was saying, you know, human beings need a, a number of like five things in order universally. You know, we need food, we need shelter, we need sex, we need to dance. And we need to look at fire. And I listened to that list and I was like, those are all completely true. But I would also add, and we need to tell stories and hear stories. Yeah, I definitely, I, when you started that, I thought that that would definitely be one of those bullet points. Yeah. But maybe, I mean, maybe that's in there. Maybe that's, you know, maybe that's part of dance. And it's part of looking at the fire. And I guess that's what I mean by cozy in the world. Come up to my, my campfire and I'm going to tell you a story, you know, curl up in your sleeping bag. Here's a mug of tea. I'm going to tell you everything. And I'm going to be really vulnerable while I do it, which is another big piece of memoir. Vulnerability? Oh, yeah. Because otherwise, who gives a shit? Right? Yeah. Yeah, vulnerability is an interesting thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, a, it's, it's hard to do. It's terrifying. Well, it's also something that a lot of people view as a weakness. They view as you know, as, mm. a, as a as a risk, which yeah. I guess I guess it kind of is in a way, isn't it? I mean, you are risking something by being vulnerable, but you're also yeah, you are totally. Which is why, if you ask Renee Brown, you know why vulnerability is strength, right? Because it is. It's bravery. It's total vulnerability is bravery. So, yeah, you you actually do come from sort of a whole community family of writers, right? Your fa your father mm -hmm. wrote for Time Magazine for years as a, as a film mm -hmm. reviewer, and, and I yeah, I think that you know he's kind of a founder of that practice, right? Of you know reviewing films. He started it in like the sixties and seventies, so he was of that era, right? Which so was really the earliest. You know, he was Pauline Kael and. You know, all those people yeah. were his contemporaries. And your mom was a writer, too. Yes, she was. She was. She was a novelist, and she wrote a book about ice skating. Yeah, and my granddaddy was a writer of radio, early radio and television, and he wrote a um, Broadway musical, edited The New Yorker for like three what? years. You really? Know, yeah. Oh yeah, it's a big writing family. And then my cousins are all writers. I'm all my first cousins are Whedons. I am of the Whedon family. So, you know, Joss Whedon being the most famous. And then, but his two of his other brothers are also successful television writers. Yeah, that, that's on your mom's side, right? She she's she brings mm -hmm. the Whedon to the party. Yes, she was a Whedon. Her brother was a showrunner, wasn't he? For um sitcoms yeah he he wrote electric company benson alice golden girls i don't know a bunch wow. of others um but yeah golden girls for at the last for a long time yeah tom whedon that's a pretty big that's a pr pretty big uh contribution there and so your dad also wrote, wrote a lot of books and um the one that's just been reissued is it on douglas fairbanks life 
Yes. So dad wrote 39 books <laughs> and made 39 documentary films. Oh, interesting. And there's 39 steps in that Alfred Hitchcock movie. That, what the hell, man? Um, yeah, he was. Just, he wrote a book in 1974 called His Picture in the pa- Papers. And it was um, a story of celebrity, basically looking at the life of Douglas Fairbanks as America's first genuine celebrity. And, you know, 1974, that was a long time ago to, to be able to understand and frame this phenomenon because it hadn't metastasized yet the way celebrity was about to metastasize in the culture. So he wrote this book um, and it has recently been republished, reissued with a new cover and a new title, which is now The Famous Mr. Fairbanks, A Story of Celebrity um, by Felix Farmer Press, available on Amazon or at BookSoup. Um, And I'm just very proud. It's a wonderful book and it just really highlights how brilliant and prescient my father was i'm very proud of him it's interesting he plays such a pivotal role in your book i wonder if it's possible for someone to be that prolific and not neglect other things no the answer is no i mean you know that said he was the more attentive parent to me in the end you know my mother really stepped away from me when I reached puberty. She became incredibly um, antagonistic. We were, well, I mean, I certainly helped, but I was, you know, on schedule to hate my mother at the age of 13. Um, But she should not have hated hated me. I mean, hate is a very strong word, but she basically let me go uh, at that age. And it was my father who, you know, did due diligence by me from then on. Yeah, because you, you moved to L.A. quite early. like in Yeah, I moved in 89, but I, after college, you know, I graduated from college and lived in New York for a couple of years, and then I moved in, in 89, and he was already out here. So I, you know, I definitely got to spend more time around him and my mother for a number of reasons, and I'm grateful, as can be, for those years which were mostly amicable. I mean, he was a son of a bitch and a total curmudgeon and super difficult. And he killed himself with cigarettes and other bad health habits. And it was a very gnarly, painful end. But all of that said, I mean, the man loved me and I loved him and we had some really good times together. And I just miss him. What about, do you want to talk a little bit about this uh, adult ADHD thing that you've been Oh, God, you know, I don't have much to say about it. I haven't been diagnosed, but, you know, I mean, like everybody else in the world, you know, suddenly ADHD uh, is being talked about a lot more. I mean, you know, obviously when I was a mom and, you know, I would know kids who were being medicated for ADHD or ADD which I don't really, I'm not sure if those are the same thing or not even. And I always felt like, oh, that's, you know, that's really odd. I, what, a, what a strange diagnosis, you know? And then, you know, more and more things have been coming out like on the internet. And then finally last weekend, there was an article in the New York Times that linked to uh, um, 
a clinical a, a test, a self-diagnosis test. It's actually one that clinicians use on intake with patients. And I just went down the list and of all the questions, and I checked all the boxes. And I'm starting to realize like, oh, I'm, and, and also I'm older and I've just been through menopause. So like, apparently it makes those symptoms more pronounced. Um, and I'm just going like, oh, this whole time I thought it was a character deficiency, like that I was a fuck up and I couldn't keep things straight and I'm irresponsible. Like I had turned it all into a, a, a story about what was wrong with me other than like, oh, maybe I'm actually struggling with something. So I'm very curious. I have an appointment um, with a psychiatrist um, and I'm very interested and curious to see if she agrees with this self-diagnosis and if there's anything that can be done to help me because I'm losing it. You know, I like, I mean, literally here's a great example. So this morning I totally forgot we had this interview. Why? Because I didn't put it in my calendar. Why? Because I, I, my executive functioning often doesn't allow me to put things in my calendar. And then I'm looking at my email this morning and something jogged my, I saw your email, I'm like, oh, that's right. And that was at like 9.08. I was like, I have this interview. Yes. Okay. And then I got sucked into something else. And I looked up at like 9.52 and I was like, oh my God, I forgot again that I have this interview. And like at a certain point you go, is this even normal? Like, am I... I'm this, the struggle is real here. <laughs> you know, you know it's kind of interesting because that's kind of a theme in your book too, where it's like, oh, wait, I'm not a fuck up. It's, you know, I'm a participant yes. in the world around me. It's not yeah. me. It's the, you know, it's, it's, it's the whole thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and because I was raised by these sort of shaming narcissists, right? Like my mother always made it clear that I was the problem. So I was raised with that. So I just, my default is to go, there's something is wrong with me and I'm, I'm the problem, you know, rather than, oh, I'm having a problem. Like for instance, with the big hurt, that is true. Where I, for 25 years, 30 years after I was kicked out of boarding school, I carried this shame and it was because I fucked up and I was a slut and I, you know, it was all my fault, you know, and I never, it never occurred to me. And then, you know, until I started trying to write the story about what happened to me in high school, 30 years later, and suddenly, you know, just the scales fell from my eyes, as they say. And I suddenly saw, oh my God, I was a child and I had been predated upon by a, an adult and the adults who were there to protect me all fucking sold me out from my parents to my school to my mentors everyone and oh my god that might have resulted in some trauma that I might be compensating for I mean I have been a dedicated dope smoker my entire adult life and I'm starting to dawn on me like Am I self-medicating because it helps me focus? You know, maybe that's what's going on. So, yeah, it's it's interesting. It's interesting. And I just think, you know, the takeaway is like, 
for me and probably for everybody, because we're all made of the same screwy shit, more or less, is that, you know, question that impulse to blame yourself for everything. You know, just question it. Why do we have to be our own angry parents? You know, like, let's, can we stop that at this point? You know, it's terrible. Kindness, kindness begins with the self. Well, congratulations on the book. Thank you. And thanks for this lovely interview. Sure. No, it's great. It's great. It's great to great to catch up with, you know, the people behind the the characters. You know, you actually you you actually have a very uh distinct distinction in that you're the only person who has played that same character twice, once live oh my God. and once on tape. And I, you know, it was funny because when when during the launch party for the play when when you guys did that did that scene it was really fascinating to me you know the thing about theater is that the audience is kind of part of it right same thing kind of with live music but and i and i actually i could i could really saw that when you when in your performance and that that you were that you were responding as much as you were performing to 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 the audience it was it was a hundred percent absolutely yeah it's so much more fun with in front of people i really miss performing i really love that that alchemy between performer and audience that collaboration that's so good all right well thanks Erica. have a great thank day thank you talk to you later. yeah bye-bye okay bye Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA.